find your seats again, please. We're going to continue our series looking at the book of Romans this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Jonathan. It's good to be here this morning. We, it's just great to have the Holy Spirit working among us, isn't it? And uh, we just want to be open to all He wants to do with us today. And um, so today we're uh, looking at Romans under the title of The Rescue Plan. The Rescue Plan. But first I want to tell you a story. And it's a true story. And it goes like this. Says he, I'm not switching it on. Is it on? Yeah. Hmm? Yay! Which is just as well, because we're going back to 1970, and technology wasn't quite as hot as it is then. On April the 11th, 1970, Apollo 13 was launched from the Kennedy Space Station in Florida. It carried three astronauts on NASA's third mission to land on the moon and to come home again. Two days later, a crackly radio message came back the 200,000 miles back to Earth. Listen carefully, see if you can hear what they said. Okay, Houston, right, we've had a problem here. This is Houston, say again, please. Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. We've had a main beam on Thunderbolt. Did you get it? Can you play it again? Listen carefully. Okay, Houston, right, we've had a problem here. This is Houston, say again, please. Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. We've had a main beam on Thunderbolt. If you didn't get it, he said this, Houston, we've had a problem. Sounds fairly trivial, but in actual fact, when you're 200,000 miles away from Earth in a spaceship and the problem is that you've just had an explosion that's decimated pretty much half of your spaceship, that is a problem. Unknown to anyone, there had been a fault on the spacecraft. And as soon as this happened, forget the moon. All thoughts of going to the moon were abandoned. The only thing was, can we get these three guys back safe to Earth? Back on Earth, teams of engineers and scientists were set up. They worked round the clock. They had life-size models of the spaceship. They looked at every problem as it arose, and they tried to come up with innovative solutions. They cannibalized bits of the spaceship. They came up with ways to make things work. They had real problems. They didn't have enough fuel to get home. They didn't have enough power to, to power their computers. They didn't have enough food. They didn't have enough water. They were in real trouble. The astronauts endured a long journey home. They swung around the moon, they came back. They were freezing cold, they couldn't have the heating on. They were short of water and they were filled with uncertainty as to whether this, the heat shield that would protect their spacecraft as they came back to Earth, had it been damaged, no one knew. Would they get through? Would they burn up as they entered the Earth's atmosphere? While the world held its breath, and watched, and many prayed, the craft started re-entry on April the 17th. 
Re-entry and the radio blackout that went with it was supposed to last for four and a half minutes. Four and a half minutes came and went. The clock ticked. Five minutes came and went, and still the clock ticked. Five and a half minutes, six minutes. On six and a half minutes, the, aircraft, the spacecraft appeared in the sky. The parachutes deployed and they landed in the ocean. And you can see the celebrations at the flight center in Houston. They had made it home. Apollo 13 is an epic rescue story. It's also a great film with Tom Hanks. If you haven't seen it, I'd recommend it. And it's based on this factual story. It's a tribute to the hard work, to the ingenuity of humanity in overcoming unexpected problems in creative ways. And some would say an answer to prayer. It could all have ended so very differently. So very differently. Well, the Bible tells us an even greater rescue story than this. An even greater, bigger in scale, bigger in scope, bigger in effect. It tells us that we were created as people metaphorically, spiritually speaking, if you like, to shoot for the moon. God made us to be fruitful, to be flourishing. God made us to fill the earth, to bring God's rule in this place. He made us, if you like, to shoot for the moon. But the Bible also tells us, like Apollo 13, we have a flaw. There is a fault. It's something called sin. And often we either don't know it or we don't recognize it. But if it's not dealt with, like on Apollo 13, it can blow up and it will wreck both what we were meant for and even our very lives itself. Many so-called experts in this world will offer us advice to help us, fixes for our malfunctions, instructions that perhaps we ought to jettison parts that no longer work, too damaged to work, how we can be rewired to see if we can survive. But the reason that the news about Jesus is called good news is that God's rescue plan for humanity could not be more different than the Apollo 13 story. It's a completely different rescue story. You see, firstly, God has not been caught by surprise. God knew before the worlds were made how this would pan out. He knew we would rebel against him. He knew we would run from him. And God made his plan before ever it started. And secondly, this, God's plan is rock solid and certain to succeed. God's plan is not some bulged up fix. It's not some cobbled together solution to an unexpected problem that he sees in our lives. No, God still wants us to shoot for the moon, and he will safely bring us home again. So what is his plan? Well, we've got to, if you like, a big reveal moment in Romans. Let's take a little look at what it says. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there's no distinction. For all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him, that's Jesus, to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. I've potentially got three things I want to share with you this morning. We might only make two. We'll see what God does. But as long as he's finished what he wants to do, it doesn't matter if I finish what I was going to do. First one is this. God is right and he does right. That Bible verse started with the phrase, but now. But now is a, a key phrase. We are privileged to live in an age where God's true character and his true nature have been made crystal clear. The coming to this world of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection show us that God is right. He is righteous all the way through, like a stick of rock. It runs right through him. It's his nature. He is right and he does right. If you've been here over recent weeks, we've been looking at early Romans and we've seen the Bible doesn't pull any punches about sin and its seriousness. Our living as if God didn't exist, sometimes our active rebellion against him, our ignoring of him, our failure to listen to what he says. God hates it and what it does to his creation. It is offensive. Sin is offensive to him and he always judges sin. Let's be clear. Romans has told us we start to see it here and now, in the here and now, where God in the end gives us over to what we really want and allows us to experience the consequences of our choices. In verse 18 of this chapter, it said the wrath of God has been revealed and we can see it working in our broken world. Let me say the wrath of God is not like some fit of pique that you or I might have on a rough morning or a difficult day. The wrath of God is scarier than that. It is his red-hot total opposition to all that is evil, immovable, scary. God always judges sin. The Bible tells us not only do we see it now, but there's a day coming where he will judge the world and where each person will stand before him and sin will be paid for, either by us or by Jesus if we've trusted in him. And in the Old Testament, sin wasn't properly dealt with. All those animal sacrifices and temple stuff were just a stopgap. They were always a way for imperfect humans to stay somehow close to a perfect God. But they were always pointing to something better coming. Jesus, the once for everyone, the once for all time, the once for all sin, perfect sacrifice. So Jesus' death on the cross shows us that God wasn't just sort of saying, oh, never mind about all the sin that had gone before. Jesus was on the cross and God had piled up all his wrath 
of the sin of the world and all the wrath of his sin that would to come and he put it all on Jesus. That's how serious, how seriously God takes sin. He was storing up judgment and pouring it on Jesus. You know, we need to know that God is righteous. We really do. I think in something in all of us, we feel that, don't we? We wouldn't want terrible people to get away with the terrible things that they do. That's a natural reaction, isn't it? We find it in us. Mass murderers, people who do terrible things to children, they should pay a price. Something in us, part of God's image, that however broken we are, still is there, tells us that. The trouble is, it's God who sets the standard of right and wrong. And that when we say that, Actually, we condemn ourselves out of our own mouths. So how does God square this circle? He demands justice, and he wants to offer reconciliation. Now, if it was down to us, if it was humanity, you know what would happen? We'd come up with a compromise, wouldn't we? We'd come up with a sort of a a Brexit fudge. We'd, well... Yeah, yeah, if you sort of do that and that, and maybe that's that, and God's not like us. Thank God, he's not like us. God's integrity, who he is, rules out a compromise. God is not going to come up with some grubby deal, some cheap and easy way out. It's not in his nature. So the phrase, but now that we started with, is good news It's good news because God's character and nature are being shown working themselves out. In being true to himself, he insists that sin must be paid for. He's not going to fudge it. In being true to himself, he then pays the price himself in Jesus. And in being true to himself, he then offers it free to any one of us who will turn away from our rebellion and put our trust in him. You see, but now is good news. But now, the righteousness of God is clear. It's obvious. He he is righteous, and he does right. He can be trusted to do the just and right thing. And we need that. We live in a broken world. We experience harm that other people have done to us. We suffer injustice. We see injustice. It makes us angry. We wrestle to forgive. And as we work that through, we need to know that God isn't just going to wink at what happened. Actually, it's not our place to repay. It's our place to forgive. But God is just. And he will repay. He will sort the whole thing out. We need to know these characteristics of God because they help us to work out life in this world. You know, I mentioned forgiveness. It's a big, big issue. I think God's moving us into a a fresh season of freedom. I really do. If that's an issue for you, can I recommend to you, you sign up for the next Freedom in Christ course. It's a powerful powerful thing. People are getting free right now in this church. Worship impresses the nature of God on our souls and our spirits. You know that, don't you? 
That's why we often, if you're, perhaps if you're new here, that's why we often sing things over. It's not because we don't know any other songs or Joe can't remember the words. Actually, it's because we want to meditate on what it says, yeah? I'm meditating on, on the nature of God. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. I want to feed on that. I want my soul to be built up and strengthened. I want, need to know that God is all those things and just and true and merciful. That's why we worship. As we worship, our minds and our hearts are changed and we experience his character and personality and we grow in that. As the Passion Translation puts this so well, and when the season of tolerance, that's the Old Testament, came to an end, there was only one possible way for God to give away his righteousness and still be true to both his justice and his mercy, to offer up his own son. So now because we stand on faith in Jesus, God declares us righteous in his eyes. You see, God isn't just right and he does right. He is also the one who justifies. The one who justified. God not only does right, God makes us right. That's why it's good news. There are three, at least three, big words in that passage I read that are big words, but they're even bigger truths. And I just want to talk a little bit about what they are because we need to grasp these truths. Let's take the first one justified. Somebody once said that. What does justified mean? Well, it means this, just as if I'd never sinned. God justifies those who put their faith in Jesus. That means it's just as if they never sinned. Sound too good to be true? Pretty much everything in this world that sounds too good to be true is too good to be true. But this sounds too good to be true, and it is true. I don't know about your family, we have family memories of what some of our kids got up to as they were growing up. And there was nothing horrendous, but it's the usual hijinks and japes and all sorts of things. The thing is this, we remember. They become family tales. (laughs) Do you remember when you did that? (laughs) Do you remember how that happened? Or we find out later, yes, do you know what was really going on when that happened? You won't get that with God. Our past is forgiven and gone. God's not going to bring it up again. It's just as if you never sinned. He will not bring it up. It, it's a grace gift, a free gift. And just hear me, folks. It's something that God does. It's something that God does. It's not what we do. It's not about our feelings. It's actually about our status. God says that we, if we trust in Jesus, are justified. And that is a fact. Do you get that? It's a fact. I'm British. I was born here, got a British passport. I don't always feel very British. I mean, I probably am, but it's not something that I wake up in the morning and think, I'm British. I may have the odd moment of patriotic fervor, but really, (laughs) you know, you see, it's not a feeling, it's a fact. I'm also married. I don't always feel married. (laughs) 
It's a fact. I'm glad. But do you know what I'm saying? It's not about how we feel. God says we are as if we have never sinned if we trust in Jesus. It's a fact. It's a fact. God says we are redeemed. This is slave market talk. Or even if you like, uh, trafficking, if we want to bring it up to date. If you rescue someone from trafficking or a slave, you buy them back, you get them out of where they were and you free them. That's the language that God uses about us. We are redeemed. We've been bought out of the slavery we're in and we belong to him. Hallelujah. It's great. It's good news. We've been redeemed from slavery. And the last big word, which in some versions is propitiation. You can drop that into your next cocktail party conversation. Is atoning sacrifice. Jesus, what this means is this. Jesus' blood is effective at making us at one, atone, at one with God. We were apart. We've been brought to be one with him. It's good enough. His blood is good enough to remove the wrath of God fully. His blood is good enough to clean us up and make us whole. That's it. You see, the law is good, but we can't keep it. It points us to Jesus. But the law has been fully satisfied in Jesus, and we get his righteousness. We get the benefits of his law-keeping. No effort of mine or yours to keep the law can save us. But accepting this as a gift brings it all to us. Faith in Jesus is just trusting in him. Whatever we've done or become, whatever we may still do or find in us, we're not looking at ourselves. We're looking at him to save us. But I hear you say, well, yeah, but I still sin. So do I. Let me read you a verse from the Bible. It says this, but if we confess... Now, I've, I've added some words to the Bible, so don't throw stones at me or anything. They're all... <laughs> They're all in italics. They're mine. If we confess our sins to him, he, that's my first point, he he does the work. He does something. It's his work, not ours. He is faithful. That means he does what he says. And he is just. That means he does what is right to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That's it. It's a fact. What does he do for us? What does it mean? It means as an end to guilt and shame. It has no place in our lives. We don't have to accept it or live with it. The devil accuses and that gives us guilt and shame. The Holy Spirit convicts and that makes us do that. That's the difference. The question I want to ask you is, are you more conscious of sin or are you more conscious of grace? What's the focus of your life? There's a great verse later on. In, in, uh, in Romans, it says this, where sin multiplied, guess what? Grace multiplied more. There's a prophetic song, some of you might know. There's a lot, there's a lot of sin, but there's a lot more freedom, forgiveness, grace. Our message is there is a boundless store of grace. You know, I just want to pause a moment this is going to be quick. I feel, I just want to pray for some people here. I feel God put on my heart this morning. If you're feeling under condemnation, if you're feeling that you don't 
live up to what you should be as a Christian. You know, God doesn't want you to be like that because you can't live up to being a Christian. <laughs> he wants you to know that you are free. Steve reminded me of a, of a wonderful story. In the Old Testament, when the Jews were, God was bringing them out of slavery in Egypt, they had something called Passover and they sacrificed the lamb and they put the blood over the door. And when the angel of death came, he would see the blood and pass over. It's a great story, Steve. Thanks for this. He reminded me that this, if you lived in that house and you're waiting for this terrible thing to happen and that you're going to be spared from, that maybe you get a bit worried. You know, is it really going to work? Ooh, I've just had a round with the wife. Are we going to get killed now? What you had to do was just to go out to the door and look. See the blood? Still there. Still there. It's still effective. It's still effective. That's all we need to do. Just close your eyes, will you, for a minute. Let me pray. I, if you feel this morning that you are feeling just under condemnation, that you're not more conscious that you're not who you should be than you are of what God has made you to be, just want you to put your hand on your heart right this morning. And let me pray for you. Hmm. Father, I want to thank you for the effectiveness of Jesus' sacrifice. And I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. And Father, I break off from them now condemnation from the enemy. I break off from them shame and guilt. And I pray, Father God, that you would just freshly let them know the forgiveness, the justification, the redemption of your dear Son. Right now, Lord. Right now. We renounce the lie. Just say this in your heart with me. We renounce the lie that I'm just a sinner. And I announce the truth that Jesus' blood is effective for me. No more condemnation. No more guilt. In Jesus' name. Amen. I've got one other thing I want to do before I close. There's another little verse in here. And you'll probably, most of you will have heard it. It's this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that's a great leveler, and it's true. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But let me turn the telescope round for you a little moment. You see, because if we have fallen short of the glory of God, that implies that we should have reached the glory of God. Do you get it? You can't fall short of something you were never intended to reach. God designed us for glory. God made us to shoot for the moon. And sin robs us of that glory. We were made, the Bible tells us, to look upon the glory of God. We were made to embody the glory of God. We were made to reflect God's glory. 
And the good news is that though sin robs us of that, God's rescue plan begins the process of restoring it. Do you know that? You're a glory carrier here this morning. You really are. You might not feel you are, but you really are. You don't quite believe me. I've got a couple of things to try and convince you. Here you are. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Bible teacher from last century, said this. Whatever we were before, if we have this faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect work, we are clothed with his righteousness and something of the glory of God is implanted in us. Amen. It's true. Does that sound a bit too much? Well, try this one then. And those that God predestined to salvation, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. You see? It's in the Bible. Must be right. Jesus himself carried the glory of God in his human body. He was fully God and fully man, and he carried the glory of God. It may have been veiled by his humanity. There were people who met Jesus and didn't see it, even though it was there. But Jesus carried the glory of God, and the disciples saw it. One of them wrote about it. This is what he said. The word became a human being, and full of grace and truth, he lived among us. We saw his glory, glory as of the only as the Father's, he received as the Father's only Son. You carry the glory of God. I do. You do. You don't look quite convinced. The Bible says this, we have this treasure, that's the glory of God, in clay pots. And that's our problem, isn't it? You see, I know it's my problem. Sometimes I'm looking at the pot and I'm saying, that's a pretty pretty dull pot. I'm a pretty dull pot. But we miss the glory. Now, I'm not talking about worldly glory, film stars. I'm not talking about that. You can be an unknown in this world and be filled with the glory of God. It's about the kingdom of God. We need to look in one another and in ourselves for the glory of God. And let's focus less on the pot. Take a look around. Go on. You can. Do that. I know we're British, but most of us are perhaps. Have a look around. Look. Look at all these pots here. Funny, isn't it? Doesn't look much, does it, to be honest? This room is filled with glory carriers. Filled with glory carriers. And we are designed to take God's glory wherever we go. You're a little glory carrier. And when you leave here... It's not like God's glory stays here and we all go home. It, it comes in us, in us, with us. I want to pray for some other people now. I just feel that God's put on my heart that our workplaces. You know, I have a weird job. I, I work for the church, but I used to have a real job. And I know, 
And the reality is that 99.9% of us have real jobs and real lives. Even if you don't, if you don't do a paid job, you'll do other things. You have a, you have a context. You are doing stuff as a homemaker, as a, as a volunteer, all sorts of stuff. And you know, that is your mission field. That's where God has put you. It's where you're meant to be. It's where you're meant to be fruitful. It's where you're meant to let his glory shine. And yet I feel God wants to touch some people here this morning. You know, you may have started out on, if you like, your mission field with high hopes that you were going to make a big impact, that you were going to change things, and maybe it hasn't happened. And maybe you've got weary, and maybe you've given up. Or maybe you feel you've kind of messed up. You know, it was going well, and then, well, I made a real mess of things. Well, you know, it doesn't depend on us. It depends on Him. We don't have to be perfect to show Jesus to the world. Otherwise, it's never going to happen, is it? We have to show the world that actually, imperfect as we are, we know the forgiveness and the mercy and the love of God, and we want other people to know. So I just want to pray for you. I'm actually going to ask, I'm going to ask you, well, I'm going to be brave. I'm going to ask you to be brave. I'm going to ask you to stand up. If, you, if you're in the workplace and you want to know a fresh anointing of God on your uh, impact in that workplace, can I ask you to stand with me now? We're not called to be perfect. We're called to make every effort. But it's not about our perfection. It's about his perfection. So if you feel you have messed up, just do pray this prayer with me on the inside. Father, I I do feel like I've messed up and I'm sorry, but I, I just want to bring it to you and say, Father, will you just forgive me? Will you restore me? Will you wash it away? Let the blood of Jesus cleanse me and release me. And I pray that I may be a witness to the grace of God on my life. To the grace of God on my life. And if you feel that maybe you've lost your way in what you wanted to do. Maybe you've just grown weary because it's hard work. And maybe you've pressed into that and you don't see fruit yet. I just want to pray for you this morning. Just pray this on the inside with me, will you? Say, Father God, I I come to you. Father God, I I just want to, uh, I don't want to partner with any spirit of mediocrity. I don't want to partner with any spirit uh, of failure and of condemnation. I want to partner with you, Holy Spirit. And I want to ask you to fill me afresh. Give me a fresh vision this morning, Lord, of how I can carry your glory with me wherever I go. And I want to pray over my brothers and sisters here, Lord, that they they wouldn't give up on the moon. They wouldn't just be satisfied with getting home safe. Lord, I want to pray that they would achieve what you have destined them to achieve. And I want to pray for fruitfulness 
I want to pray in Jesus' name, Lord, for uh, multiplication. I want to pray, Lord, for them bringing your rule wherever they tread with their feet. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would bring a harvest this morning of, of new souls saved. I want to pray you would bring fruitfulness. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit, with boldness and with courage to let our light shine. Let the glory of Jesus be seen in this place. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Sorry, you'd have to forget the rest. We're just <laughs> going to stay standing and maybe everyone else could join us in standing up and...